So speaking of that subject, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 2. This is pretty basic teaching here. It, it might be in, in other situations, other ministries and other churches, the teaching tonight might be something that would be convicting or redirecting. Uh, here, under the leadership of Don and Larry, and um, I, I tell you, the, the, I was doing pretty, for, for some reason, Dolores, I was doing pretty good on Thursday, uh, but the, the slideshow, the picture of Pastor Jim baptizing Glenn, that one got to me a little bit because it just, it, how time flies and, and from that point of view and, and it just, uh, the, the motivation to make sure that what God used Pastor Jim to lay the foundation here to keep that going, you know, and, and uh, uh, so this particular chapter is a little bit of Paul's defense. Remember, he's come to them already and said, uh, you, have, uh, uh, you, you are divided. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. And so he says, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come to you with excellence of speech or wisdom or declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I've shared this story with you before, but it, is, uh, it was a significant uh, moment in the, this church's history. Um, and I was young, probably about the same age as Logan, and where I was going through Romans. And man, I was hitting the doctor, and I was hitting it hard, and I was, you know, and... and uh, and Don took me aside and reminded me that, that I didn't focus on Jesus. I was focused on the doctrine. I was focused on and, and had let the gospel out. And he says, he says, John, you've got to make sure that you find Jesus in every verse. And that changed how I prepare messages and how I look. And that was the job of the elder of the church to a young pastor. And... and um, this is the verse that backs that up. Paul the Apostle says, when I came to you, look at, and, and what he's trying to do is establish his right to write this letter to them. He says, I'm not looking for anything. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. And uh, as Liz and I traveled, went to different churches, we've been to different events, and, and sometimes a speaker can be um, a little bit... Um, trying to sound excellence of speech and trying to sound very intellectual and sometimes they can come off as being a little bit uh, not genuine and so Apostle Paul is saying I didn't have excellence of speech or wisdom now this is the opposite of Apollos remember Apollos they said he could just speak amazingly but he was speaking the wrong things. He only knew the baptism of John and Aquila and Priscilla had to correct him. So it's not the method of what comes out of your mouth. It's the message that comes out of your mouth that really is important. Um, 
And I determined to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Uh, this is surprisingly a controversial verse in, in many writings uh, that Paul was weak or Paul's faith was tested. It, it is the proper way to approach preaching the word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you need to approach the word understanding that I am weak, but the word is what is strong. So he says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And you should take very seriously the responsibility of presenting this word. And it should have not so scared you can't do it, but a high respect for what you're doing. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and power. I had an interesting, without going into detail, I heard a speaker, and, and I was listening to the speaker, and everything he said was really solid, verse, verse, talking about these verses. And then he said something that I want, oh, what, that doesn't seem, is that, I felt, you know, we have to do the work of a Berean. And I thought, well, I never heard that before. Is that really? And then he said, as so-and-so says in his book, and, and on the screen he put the page of a book, which a man wrote this opinion of, this, of the verse. And I thought, oh, see, as long as he was using the scripture, I was right in there. But once he went to man's wisdom, kind of lost me a little bit. And uh, I read books and I read commentaries, uh, but I very rarely say, as so-and-so wrote in his book, or quote men. I very rarely do that. Um, because the Bible has enough wisdom for us. It just does. Um, sometimes I'll do it. But usually it's a person who's talking about a verse. Um, so I wasn't using persuasive words of human wisdom. And so many of our modern day church messages are just man's wisdom and uh, we got to be careful that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God that interesting statement what would it look like to have faith in the power of men well how that looks is very simple the pastor leaves and then the people leave <laughs> And, and that is a person, and, and you'll hear it, there'll, there'll be followers of this preacher, followers of that pastor, followers of that denomination. And Paul's saying, look it, I'm trying to be very careful that your faith should not be put in the wisdom of men. Well, why is he saying this? What did he criticize them for doing in chapter one? I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of... And he says, look, at, I didn't baptize him. You know, I'm glad. He says, did, did I, I wasn't crucified for you. So he's taking them and diverting their attention from the men to Jesus. And we do it. We do it in 2022 and with social media. And I want to, uh, this is probably a little overly critical, but do you remember Promise Keepers years ago? 
But I went to Promise Keepers, and it wasn't a, a bad experience. I enjoyed it quite a bit. But they had a place um, where you could buy stuff, <laughs> and they had tables. And all the tables were, you know, John Flanagan Ministries, Bill Stevens Ministry, you know, Greg. And it's like the, the gall to me of ever naming a ministry after myself. I, I couldn't even imagine doing so. And then it would be like, you know, John Flanagan will be here between two and three to sign his book. And I thought, uh, you know, I, I know it's probably wrong on me, but I wanted to turn the tables over. It just, it had that vibe to me. It had a feel of something that's wrong. And I think these verses back it up. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And what changes is, when God changes you, when you are truly born again, it does not wear off. You are there for the long haul. 1 Corinthians 1, 22. We go back, we read that last week, but it's, it's a good reminder. It says... Since in the wisdom of God, or verse 22, for the Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. See, this is really um, got to me. Paul was aware exactly what the people were looking for. The Jews were looking for a sign, and the Greeks were looking for wisdom. If he would follow the modern-day what's called seeker-sensitive. Seeker-sensitive is find out what the people are seeking for and, let, and give it to them. And the result will be your church will grow. And they have a lot of church-growing ministries that you can look at the psychology of growing a church. Paul knew exactly what to do. All I got to do is give the Jews a sign and they'll come flocking. All I got to do is give the Greeks a little wisdom and intelligence and they'll come flocking. But he was determined to do what? Preach Christ and preach Christ crucified, which would be a stumbling block to the Jews. If you look at verse 23 of chapter 1, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. He preached Christ knowing it would send people away. And when you start running a church for the purpose of number growth, you can really get off track. In fact, the best example of this in the Bible is Jesus himself. He had 5,000 people he just fed. And he said to them, you're not walking for the right reason. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And what the people do? They left. Because Jesus didn't want a flock to follow him for food and drink and miracles. He wanted people to take up their cross, follow him, and be genuinely transformed from lost to saved. And that's a narrow gate. So that's what we're looking for here. We're looking for souls that will be transformed, not looking to build the numbers. We could do that. We could certainly 
compromise a lot of things around here and, and welcome in a lot of different teachings and stay away from certain subjects and not both verse by verse, and we would probably have a lot more people here. But we're not in the grand to build a church. We're in the grand to try to reach the lost, to try to reach the lost. Verse 20 of chapter 1, we read that, says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So we see the first five verses of chapter 2 is basically a follow-up to chapter 1. Because... We preach Christ crucified because we know man's wisdom is foolishness to God. And we know that God chooses preaching as his method. I didn't come to you with excellency of words. I didn't come to you with man's wisdom. I came to you with Christ crucified because that's the only thing that truly changes an individual. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to transform people. We're trying through the word. We don't transform them, but you know God does. Verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. I love that verse. If you go back and study history, and I, I, I do this with students sometimes, and you can go back into the Babylonians, you can go back to the pharaohs. You can go back to the Caesars of the world. And you can go back to the Philistines. Those who really took a hold of power in this world. The Medes and the Persians, the Greeks. Well, I haven't met any pharaohs lately. And I'll bet at the time, Egypt thought they would never fail. And what is Egypt today? It's just a country. I haven't met very many Roman centurions lately. I haven't met very many Philistines lately. Why? Because of this verse. The rulers of this age and the wisdom of this age are coming to nothing. This applies to all of the false teaching and, and immorality going on in our country today. It's going to come to nothing. I don't know how this is all going to end. It may end with the complete destruction of America in which we become just a vast desert like Egypt. It may come to that. But you will be fine. You'll be fine in the Lord. There are Christians still in these countries. That's what lasts Christ. Verse 7 says, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Have you ever said to somebody, man, if you just knew Jesus the way I know Jesus, I don't want to go to church, those Christians are hypocrites, and besides Jesus is this and he's that and he's this, and you say, boy, that's not the Jesus that I serve. Have you ever read your Bible? Have you ever studied it? I've had an interesting the last month or two with my brother. He's getting sickly, and he's, he's not doing well. And uh, 
he called me out of the blue. He, he hasn't talked to me very much since my mother died, and, and he reached out to me just out of the blue while we were on vacation. And uh, um, he did something he's never done before. He asked for money, and he asked for quite a bit of money, and we were able to help him. Um, and uh, then he just messaged me yesterday that his boyfriend's brother is in Los Angeles dying and they can't travel. And he asked if I would drive them to Los Angeles. And he said, I know we've been a little bit disjointed, but it'll give us a chance to talk for a few hours and before my time comes. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to take them. I'm going to drive them down there. Uh, but I'm praying for this verse. Okay? If they had known Jesus... The way we know Jesus, they would have never crucified him. And, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to find that light, that, that space in which we can preach Christ crucified. It's a mystery, verse 7 says. Hidden wisdom. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Even though the word of God is a mystery, there's power in it. I'm hoping as we drive, now that we've helped him financially and taking that time to drive him, that it will allow myself a chance to speak. That it will garner me the opportunity when he says, can you explain to me why you're the way you are? And I would love to take some time to explain to him with verses. With verses. And let the verses do the work. Um, <clears throat> knowing that when we speak the wisdom of God, it's a mystery that's being hidden. And this mystery can only be Revealed and open through the gift of faith that comes from God. And so when we pray, we pray for God to open the eyes of the blind. That's what we're praying for. Verse 9 says, As it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of a man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. How about that verse? That's a good one, isn't it? In Revelation, when Paul is talking about heaven, he's trying to describe colors he's never seen before. He's trying to describe visions he's never seen before. And it's like his hair was as wool, and it was like this, and it was like this. Because there's nothing that he's ever seen. So it just happened that I was talking with Larry this week, and we were talking about heaven and and, and thinking about it this week, obviously. And, and, you know, do people look down or do people go back and forth? And, and Larry mentioned a good point, and, and I thought we would do something just a little different tonight. It won't take very long, but if you'll turn to Revelation 21, uh, Larry said, you know, rightfully so, well, the only thing we really know about heaven is in Revelation 21. And it's not much. And so I just thought we would, without too much commentary, 
kind of remind ourselves what we know about heaven. At the end of chapter 21 of Revelation, anyone that was not found in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then in verse 21, chapter 21, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the new heaven and the first earth had passed away. So what do we know? There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. A new earth. What in the world is that new earth going to be like? Well, if you talk to Liz, she will tell you it's nothing but hiking trails. <laughs> and she told me this. She says it's going to be nothing but hiking trails that change every day. And she has it all in her mind what it's going to be like. And, uh, but I, John, saw the holy city. So when we talk about what's in heaven, we really only know what's in the city. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Well, there's a huge difference between earth and heaven. That is the presence of God, the physical presence of God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There'll be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said, Write these things. The words are true and faithful. That's heaven. Yes. Yes. It is without a doubt what I cling to whenever I'm struggling because nothing else matters. And it's, you're absolutely right. Kids, and, and Dave ran into tonight, kids have bizarre questions. Just questions about what are my dogs going to be in heaven? Am I in, in, and I always say this it doesn't matter what you're doing in heaven. The only thing matters is what you're feeling in heaven. I said, uh, so I, I'll ask the kids, I'll say, what is your favorite thing to do? And somebody will raise his hand and say, I love to fish. And I'll say, why do you love to fish? And they'll try to explain to me. And it really gets down to the fact, because fishing makes this particular person feel great. Fishing doesn't make me feel great. I'm bad at it. It's long. Certain other things make me feel great. So we tend to get pigeonholed into the things that make us feel what Revelation 21.4 says. So I always tell people, it, I don't care what we're doing in heaven. I just know every second I'm going to feel this way. And I, I'll have the kids, and I'll have you do the same thing. If you think about the greatest single moment of your life, you know, there's a few moments in my life, you know, the day I got saved, on my wedding day, those type of things, where you just felt that you were on top of the mountain. Whatever that felt like, if forever how long it lasted, because we all know it doesn't last, right? But whatever that feeling was, you will feel better than that a hundredfold every second you're with the Lord in heaven. So I don't care what I'm going to do we go back to, uh, I just want to read uh, 
chapter 22 of Revelation, the first couple verses. It says, It showed me a pure river, water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street on either side of the river was a tree of life that bore twelve fruits. Each tree yielded its fruit in every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there will be no more curse. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night there, no need of lamp nor sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And so Christ is there, the throne is there, but this is only speaking of the city. It's not the new heavens and the new earth. We get no information about that. Except that eye has not seen, nor ears have heard. You will not get there and go, oh, this is it? <laughs> That's all is this? Man, I was expecting so much more. It's going to be the very opposite. So let's go back to Corinthians. He says we don't need the wisdom of man. It's God's wisdom. The eyes have never seen it. Verse 10, only a few more verses. But God has revealed them. What is the them? The mysteries to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. This is a undebatable theological fact. Without the Holy Spirit, you'll never understand scriptures. It is a even when it comes to the fact of you preaching the gospel, it's foolishness to many people, a stumbling block to many people. But to those who believe, it is the power of God. And it's only the Holy Spirit that draws an individual and then opens their eyes and gives them this beautiful gift of faith. Our job is to throw out those seeds, as many as we can, whenever we can, to whoever we can, and those seeds, we pray, take root into a person that comes to know Christ. John sixteen twelve says this, I have many things to say to you, Jesus speaking to his apostles, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you in all truth. So God tells them before his death, burial, and resurrection that when he leaves... He is going to send the Holy Spirit who will guide you in all truth. How many of you, I'll bet every one of you have experienced reading scriptures you've already read before and then all of a sudden it just, oh, I never saw that before. For me, I'm, I'm all in on 1 Corinthians 4 and I won't talk about it tonight, but it, I know I've read it hundreds of times but it is life-changing verse and we'll get to that in a couple of weeks but it just it, it was so encouraging to me and while I was gone um, that was the one that set my mind right my mind was not in a good place when I left 
but my mind's in a good place now, and it's all because of 1 Corinthians 4 and the Holy Spirit. And so he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. That's from John 16. John 16, 14. He will glorify me. He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. The work of the Holy Spirit is to guide, convict, and convince. We have given the Holy Spirit a bunch of outside powers that God never designated to the Holy Spirit. And we, Satan has done a very good job of, of masquerading what the true Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is that thing. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. The fruit of the Spirit is the understanding of the Word of God that you couldn't understand without it. And with that one Spirit and one Word, we have a unity of the Spirit and the mind because we're studying the same book and being guided by the same Spirit. If you get a word from the Spirit that goes opposite of the Bible, then it's not the Holy Spirit guiding you. I shared this with you, but I, I was really helping this. A man said, if I get a word from outside the Bible and it doesn't match up with the Bible, it is unreliable. If I get a word from outside the Bible that lines up with the Bible, the word is unnecessary because I already have it in the Bible. Therefore, I'll stick to the Bible. Just stick to the word. It has the information I need. So Paul is actually in chapter 2 preparing the Corinthian church for the remainder of what he's going to really kind of uh, um, rebuke them about and encourage them about. And he's letting them know that his authority is always going to be what? The scriptures. And the message is always going to be Christ and him crucified. So he says in verse 13, These things we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, what the Holy Spirit teaches, but what the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. If I want to break down John 3.16, then I'll go to other verses that talk about love and talk about Christ. If I want to break down I am the way, the truth, and the life, I compare it. And when verses are compared, 40 different authors, 66 different books over how many hundreds of years, and yet they don't contradict. It's a miraculous book. So we compare spiritual things with spiritual things. We don't have a debate. I remember years ago, we had a church service in Sunday morning, and the church service was dedicated to which is better for your children. Homeschooling, Christian schooling, or public school. And they had a public school teacher, a homeschool mom, and a Christian school teacher. And they all had 15 minutes to give their point of view of why. And the bottom line is, neither one of them is better. You're to follow God's direction. For some, it's homeschool. For some, it's Christian school. For some, it's public school. But what was happening is they weren't comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. 
They were comparing things with, well, Professor so-and-so from the uh, says that when you homeschool, it really affects their social status, and they have all of these stats. We're not supposed to do that. We compare spiritual with spiritual. Verse 14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know, because they are spiritually discerned. When I have a conversation with my brother, if we have this drive, there's not a chance in the world that I could ever convince him that Jesus Christ is the Lord. No fancy words, no arguments. However, if the Spirit of God takes hold of him or his boyfriend while we're in that car, they'll never be the same. It takes a lot of pressure off of us. To know that I'm just so frustrated. I've been talking to my sister. I've been talking to this person, talking to that person. They just won't get it. And they only get it when God says it's time to get it. We just got to pray. We got to put those. Look at some of the things you say. <laughs> Patricia, this is. Um, she, she got this funny little um, message on her Facebook. Those DMs, those private things. And this is about five years ago. And it said, hey, is your dad the Bible teacher at Bishop Christian? And she said, oh, yeah. He says, oh, good. I am so-and-so. I'm 31. I've got a few kids. And I'm reading Proverbs with him every day. I thought it was the stupidest thing, and I hated his class. Tell him I was wrong. And I'm thank, thank him for doing that because now I get it. It's important. And I don't remember this student, don't know anything about it. This person, I went to find the student in a yearbook. I couldn't find it. Apparently, she's only there for a couple months. But the thing is, is the seeds that you plant, the, the text that Don sends out, or the Bible studies you have, you never know. It might not take root for another decade. But boy, Brian is a, is a very good example of hiding God's word in his heart when he was a little kid here in Iwana and how it finally came to root years later. Can, can you share what somebody said about you when you were a kid? Um, when you, are you referring to, uh, yeah. you're talking about what Freddie said. Yeah. So, uh, when I was in Iwana, I had a pretty troubled upbringing. So whenever I would go home, you know, every time I would go to school, everything, it was always surrounded by a lot of hate. And, and at the time when you left, you would not have been a success story at that time. You would have been the angry little kid that didn't listen and, oh, thank God he's gone because he was sure it was a pain in the rear end when he was here. But look what happened years later. That's what these verses are talking about. Thank you, Brian. Verse 15 will close. He who is spiritual judges all things that he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord? that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. So who has the ability to debate God? 
Who has the mind of the Lord that he may instruct them? Who is qualified to stand against God in a debate and win that debate? Nobody. And that's what the world does, don't they? All these theologians and these professors and these architects of, of theology and religious leaders, they know nothing without the Spirit of God. And Paul says, look at you could take all of those fancy words, fancy professors, fancy seminaries, throw them all into a ditch. We're just going to talk about Christ and him crucified. Because when you do that, you can actually talk to first graders. You can talk to cubbies. And it will have an impact on them and affect them. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, if I get the opportunity to talk to my brother, we won't debate religious things. If he gives me an opportunity, I will share with him why I have stayed connected to Christ for 41 years and the verses that have changed my life. Just like Paul has done in the book of Acts. Remember, he always goes to the same story. How could, I like what he said today. What was I supposed to do? disobey the voice <laughs> how could I have done that what do you expect me to do when God shows up and talks to you and blinds you you probably ought to do what he says that's our story right Heavenly Father we thank you Lord for the Holy Spirit we thank you Lord for these instructions of Paul help us not to get wise in our own eyes help us not to get puffed up in our preaching and to start preaching our own wisdom and our own opinions and, and write our own books and our own theories Lord, help us just to preach the simple message of Christ crucified, to walk through your scriptures and let you do the talking in Jesus' name.